I see the river flowing swift. I see the sky. I see the trees. I see the birds. And I see the grass and the flowers and the reeds and the stones at the bottom of the water. And everything. Birds, especially. I'm flying through the air and chirping. And crows are calling, and the world all around is full of the sounds of the native world. Welcome to Radio Preschool. Jean Johnson and I work at McMaster University and many 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 lunch times I come in the trails and over the last six or eight years I've come here so often that I've learned a lot about bird watching and about flowers. Actually, I always loved it because when I was a teenager I used to go out for hours and hours just watching birds and my mother would get worried. I think I was about 12 or 14. We, my father worked on the railways so we used to go on a lot of train trips and to pass the time and alleviate the boredom he bought me a book called I Spy on the Train and it was a, and, and you would get points for everything you saw that was in the book after I finished I Spy on the Train he got me one called I Spy Birds and I was hooked I had to see you know every bird that you saw you you check off and you know the more common birds you got 10 points and the really rare birds you got 30 points you know and I was hooked and I used to go out for hours I think when I was 16 one day I was out for 10 and a half hours because I wanted to see a hundred birds. So it's kind of like an obsession. <laughs> but so um, we're, at, we're in the marsh right now. What birds can we expect to see? Well, the most common and the most noisy marsh bird is the red-winged blackbird, which you can hear in the background. It's got some common calls, chack, 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 chack. And it's also got loud whistles. And dee 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 dee, that's the male. The male red wings are standing, sitting right on the yes. tops of those uh, cattails, but they all have mates who are much duller colored, they're more dark brown streaked, and they are on some nests down there in the cattails. You can't see them, but those males are telling the other males, don't come near this little patch, this is mine. And that's what the, all I those noise are for. <laughs> it's all about 
territories. That's what bird songs are all about, territories and finding a mate. Sometimes we get hummingbirds in the woods here, but they're not usually found in the marsh. Another marsh bird that we can't see right now is the great blue heron. That's a very big bird and that stalks through walks very patiently and waits and catches fish in the marsh and flies away if you disturb him, going wonk, wonk. He's not happy when you scare him away. Any other birds? Yes, there are. The geese, Canada geese, nest in the marsh, and probably when we walk around the corner we might disturb some and they make a lot of noise too. Uh, right now, the Canada geese have their babies and you can often see them swimming along with a little party of birds. So now th those are the common ones that you see a lot, the ducks and the, the geese and the swans. But if we listen very carefully, there's a rattling little song in the background here. Listen. Like click, 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 click. That is the marsh wren. And the marsh wren, there it is. It's got very funny little gurglings and rattlings. And um, you can tell that this marsh is in a healthy state because 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have found any marsh wrens here. But they, the, um, the people who have been trying to make the marsh better, they've done such a great job of restoring the uh, cattail marsh that in fact there is now a healthy population of marsh wrens in here. And sometimes you can hear four or six males singing in this area, right over there and right here. So that's, uh, and the marsh wren is only about four and a half or five inches long and builds nests in the cattails and reeds but it needs a healthy stand of cattails and a healthy marsh. So this is a real success story for the Bay Area Restoration Council. Definitely there's more birds in the marsh because there's more vegetation. And the reason why you get more birds is because um, now the, um, they've, they've decided to exclude the carp, and the carp are a big fish that dig up the vegetation. They're so busy looking for food on the bottom that they, with their noses they're poking and poking and the vegetation can't get a hold and you, you can't have creatures without vegetation because they live in it and on it. So one of the birds that's come back, sometimes we see a great egret, which is like a big white heron. Sometimes we see a bittern, which is a big brown heron. But um, I think the marsh wrens are one of the biggest success stories. And there's a, you know, a few of those, like there's a bird called a thora, which is a little uh, marsh bird. It's called, a, a, the family is rails. And they're another bird that likes a lot of vegetation to nest in. So now, all of these little bays that have now been grown up with cattails, they used to be just totally bare when I first came here. Yeah. So they're gradually, every little cove and bay, they're gradually, the cattails are spreading. And that will be a more productive marsh. Mm -hmm. It's a place for the uh, swans and the ducks and geese to hide their nests. It's very important. There's two kinds of yellow birds. Um, there's a kind that's mostly found in the treetops, but sometimes comes down, and they are bright lemon yellow with a that's, black head. And they're called goldfinches, and some people call them wild canaries. Okay. They have the best little song. They're always singing in the tops of the trees, and their song is always sweet, 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 sweet. Slow, though they love spring, they're just a beautiful yellow and have a lovely song. The ones that are sort of more of a greenish back, greenish and yellow heads, they're called yellow warblers, okay. and they're very common in wet areas. Yellow warblers only come to us for the, for the breeding season, for spring and summer, but goldfinches live around all the time. Best time to go bird watching is as early as you can get up in the morning when it's light. Six o'clock is a good time to go bird watching. 
because as all the birds wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is sing their territorial songs very loudly to say, this tree is mine, this bit of cattail is mine, and you can, you, you can hear all the birds so you can find them. And all the creatures come out to drink, and the birds have to come and get something to eat, so they're very, there's a lot of activity, six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. But most people like to stay in bed. <laughs> but another good time is when it's growing dusky, just at twilight. A lot of birds are active just before dark too, so that's a good time. There's two sounds that bird watchers make to try and get birds to come, and one is a kind of kissing song on the back of your hand, and the other is called pishing, which sounds funny, but it's psh, 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 psh. But it's not usually much good if you're sitting right out in the open, but if you're kind of hidden under a bush, and you know there's a bird, you can see its movements, but it's not very close, you can call it close to you. Sometimes you only get one chance, it comes, looks at you and goes away, so you have to look at it right then and see what it is, but you can attract birds. I sometimes find when the weather's very, very cold and it's rainy and miserable in winter that I can't get out bird watching. So I noticed that the post office was selling stamps with birds on, so I started buying them about three years ago. And more and more people know I collect bird stamps, so I've got bird stamps from all over the world, and then I found that you could buy packages. So even when I can't go out bird watching, I can learn something about them, and I can uh, pretend I'm bird watching. Uh, it's better than nothing, you know. <laughs> it's good for cold winter nights. Mm -hmm. We're worried about bird extinction, endangered birds. Can you talk about that? Yes, there are some birds that are getting, that are endangered, but the real problem is you can't separate a bird from its habitat, and a bird's habitat is where it makes its nest and where it gets its food, and if it can only live in a certain area, in a certain kind of habitat, and that habitat is taken away, then the bird will die. And that's mainly why most birds who are getting extinct are suffering, is because their habitat's been destroyed by building, usually. We, we um, plow up the marshes and fill them with houses, and that's, that takes away birds' house, the birds' areas where they live, their territories and habitats. And you can't just say, well, they should move somewhere else because birds are very, very particular in their needs, and they've developed, they've evolved with just that particular little type of habitat. Sometimes the reason why they're getting extinct is they've been shot too much, often. For instance, um, in the early part of the century, ladies used to love, have fancy plumes on their hats, and those were taken from the egrets, the snowy egrets, who in the um, spring when they're courting, they have beautiful plumes, and they were shot in their thousands, hundreds of thousands to make plumes for ladies' hats. Now, we don't do that anymore, and the egrets are coming back. So, you know, that's why it's so important to set aside wildlife preserves, especially wetlands. Wetlands are so important because birds can then have a safe place to breed. And woodlands, too. We need to set aside woodlands. We need to ask our government to preserve not just, you know, we've heard the, of the Endangered Species Act. A lot of naturalists and scientists are saying this doesn't go far enough because although it says it's illegal to shoot these birds, they're protected. It doesn't do anything much about protecting their very important habitat that they live in. So we need to keep bugging our representatives keep writing to the government saying. Keeping our habitat clean is very important. Not throwing cans that might hurt birds or um, 
you know, not um, tramping in sensitive vegetation, having respect for the woods and the trails and the marsh. That's very important too. There goes a duck flying over. Whee! And I know from its cry, that it is a wood duck because they have a very ca characteristic cry. They are beautiful. That was a female because it looked all brown. Wood ducks are an amazing kind of duck that actually nest in holes in trees. And if there are not enough holes in trees, they will nest in boxes that are provided for them. So the sk skills and tools you need to be a bird watcher is you have to be very curious. You have to want to know what is it. You have to never be satisfied till you have found it. And you have to have good eyes and good ears and be able to walk very quietly and pay attention. That's it. And then have a good memory. Because when you've looked up and you've said, oh yes, that's the Baltimore Oriole, that's its song, it's an orange and black bird, you have to remember that so that next week you don't have to think, oh, what is that, all over again. <laughs> I think if you're interested enough, you probably You train remember. yourself to remember, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. Streets with you and I
You are listening to Radio Free School on CFMU. A snake. We passed it. We were looking the other way. Do you hear him rustling? And it's curling along the. Come on, oh, yes. That's a garter snake. He's not poisonous and he won't hurt you. In fact, he lives. He eats lots of little insects. <coughs> See, he's crawling up the path there. Going across to see that blue thing? He's just behind that. Yes. Do you know that inside his body, you know you have a, a few ribs in the top part of your body. He has ribs all the way along his body and he uses them like legs, like this, underneath his skin. They're pushing him along. Yeah. If that snake wasn't moving, we would never notice him because you see how his markings are very make him very difficult to see. Do you know what we call those kind of markings that make a plant, an animal difficult to see? It's called camouflage. He looks just like some plants or some grass. Green and black and beige, nature's colors. Oh, here's some birds flashing about through the trees. Black, can you see black? Black with red, they're called. I'm gonna tell you, they're called red-winged blackbirds. And these are the males. They have, they have very flashy coloring. This, this is the red-winged blackbird's nesting grounds down here. So the males are all competing with each other over who should get the ladies and who should get the best nesting spots. If you want to hear the most birds, you have to come at about six in the morning and it's full of song. Every single bird is singing. I know. Yesterday morning I, I went out at 6.15 and I heard a hundred of birds singing, singing, singing. Oh, here's a tree that's just fallen down. We can get a very good view of the big hole in it. I bet something was using that for a nest last year before it fell down. Yeah, something. Do you know the name of a bird that makes holes in trees? Woodpeckers. Woodpeckers have been on this, working on this. We're so lucky to have this beautiful natural area so near to the city and near to where I work. Some people think that dead trees look ugly and sometimes when you're in the woods you forget to look around and you think everything's green and living but dead trees are very important for animals and birds because they chickadees like to make holes in like to nest in holes in trees and they don't have to do all the work of making the hole they are very clever they wait till the woodpeckers have made a hole and the woodpeckers are looking for insects to eat and after the woodpeckers have made a hole the chickadees nest in there and they often have as many as 10 babies in that tiny little hole, all piled on top of each other. 
So we should not cut down dead trees unless they're going to fall down and break something because they are important for food and nests. Wheel! Do 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 do! That's the, the Oriole. He's a wonderful singer as well as being very handsome. He's the one, they're the ones that make that nest like a little hanging basket. All woven grass and it's just attached at two places on some twigs and the rest is all woven by their beaks. They have no hands. Quite amazing. Oh, see these very big leaves right down at the bottom here? Do you know what that's called? What? Skunk cabbage. Because it has a very bad smell. They are a very interesting plant because they come up very, very early in the spring. Sometimes there's snow on the ground and the, they flower. Yes, they flower before the leaves come out, the skunk cabbages. They look like the little jack-in-the-pulpit flowers, same family. And the, the flower gives off so much heat that it melts the snow all around it so that the flower has a chance to grow. Now that is a clever trick. Who says plants are dumb? by Margaret Atwood. Ever wanted to be a bird? In For the Birds, a book by Margaret Atwood, a girl is initiated into the life of birds when she is suddenly turned into one herself. The story is written from this bird girl's point of view. And you can taste your first worm with her. You can get your first cat scare and your first flight by her side as she migrates south for the winter with her mentor, a crow. Just let your imagination guide you. The world, from a bird's point of view, can be pretty scary. Pollution, loss of habitation, habitat that is. But it's also very amazing. For the birds also includes factual information about birds and their lives on almost every page. 
Check it out for some really interesting pointers alongside the scintillating fiction. Today, we are talking about birds. What is that book about? It's about a girl and this woman called Phoebe Morganis who changes her into bird for hurting her bird, her robin. I mean, like, I mean her cardinal. And basically, I don't really know what to say about it, but I've read it and she has to migrate because it's fall and she gets changed into a scarlet tanger. She learns that she's been mean. She's been mean to birds since she was a tiny girl. Now she's a real old, she's an older girl. She moved and she threw a stone. She wanted them all to fly away, but it hit the red, the red car, the beautiful red car, and it fell down, but it's not really dead. It only stunned, it was only stunned, so pretty much, that's what it. What did she eat? Worms, beetles, critters. There's a saying, have you ever heard the saying, dog eat dog? Mm -hmm. Well, with some birds, it's bird eat bird. <laughs> How come? Well, hawks and maybe eagles, they, they eat birds, every kind of bird that are smaller than them. They don't eat each other though, but they eat smaller birds, like maybe like a scarlet talonger is she was changed into. Like they um, she was pounced, she was almost pounced on by a hawk, and a few emergencies changed herself into a crow. So like red-winged blackbirds chased her because they weren't very fond of crows, and oh. that was all the trouble. Oh. That was the only trouble they had. Well, pretty much, I don't want to say any more. Yeah, but you know what? Every kind of insect, insect. Eat something gets eaten by something. Mm -hmm. That's food chain. Yeah, that's what the food chain means. And if one of the insects gets poisoned, it passes along the food chain. Have you ever heard the saying, one kind of tree, one kind of food? Mm -hmm. Well, same with like human food. One kind of food for humans, only one kind of person could eat it. Just like some, like birds. Yeah, you need different, all different kinds of trees and all different kinds of food. Say me, I don't eat meat, so. Why do you need different kinds of trees? Right? So different, so there's all different kinds of foods, and all all birds can live.